Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. The Gospel of Matthew reveals the kingdom of God. This kingdom is the sphere or realm of God's ruling, and it has fully existed in the heavens from eternity. But the real burden of Matthew is to show us that God's desire is not just to have his kingdom in the heavens, but for the reality of this kingdom to come to earth. Getting God's kingdom to earth is no simple matter, and today we'll see that it cannot come without the fighting and warring of his people against his enemy. Ron Kangas has joined us today as we look at spiritual warfare from Matthew chapter 12. Welcome to the program today, Ron. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. We will be focusing on uh, an extremely significant portion of the Word, and to be very precise, a unique section in that it reveals spiritual warfare in the unseen realm related to the Lord's ministry in the physical realm, and the battle between two kingdoms. So this is what lays ahead of us. The Lord's words in Matthew 12 are so clear, and the exposition of them in the life study message is faithful and true and beneficial. So we need to gear up to enter into the spirit, the warrior spirit contained in Matthew chapter 12. Ron, outwardly, what we're going to see today seems like just another of the miracles performed by the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. Here's the verses that we are specifically talking about today in chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Then there was brought to him one possessed by a demon, blind and dumb, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were amazed and said, Is this not the son of David? But the Pharisees hearing this said, This man does not cast out the demons, except by Beelzebub, ruler of the demons. Ron, there's much more behind the story of this healing of a blind and dumb man, isn't there? There certainly is. And let's uh, introduce it this way. Previously, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord was in a particular environment And that environment gave him the opportunity to reveal certain divine things, especially concerning himself. For instance, after Matthew was called from his occupation as a tax collector, Matthew had a dinner for him in his home and invited his friends, who turned out to be 
tax collectors, and sinners. And the Lord was there having a meal with them. And the religionists were bothered by this. They were critical of this. And that gave the Lord the opportunity to reveal certain matters concerning the Lord coming as a physician to heal the sick, the Lord being the new garment, the new wine, etc. We have the same situation in principle or in nature in Matthew 12. Here is a dear man, blind and dumb. He cannot see, he cannot speak. And a demon is involved in this. The Lord heals the man and casts out the demon. So this was a visible, physical event. So that is the scene. Then the religionists have something really insulting and blasphemous to say, as will come out later, I think. And that allows the Lord to unveil spiritual things, matters in the unseen spiritual realm, especially as they're related to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, and the power by which Jesus cast out demons. And it's what the Lord reveals in the context of this situation that is most enlightening and is crucial that we see this and follow the divine thought in this portion of Matthew. Thanks, Ron. That sets the stage for quite a confrontation between the Lord Jesus and the Pharisees. Let's join Witness Lee. Matthew chapter 12, from verse 22 to the end of chapter. Here you have Matthew picking up one more fact to show us that in the establishment of the kingdom, there is the fighting raging on. Thus far, we haven't seen that to establish the kingdom, there is the need of a spiritual fighting. There is the need of a battle. While Christ, as the heavenly king, was establishing this heavenly kingdom on earth among men, he was fighting there. People didn't see this. People saw what he did outwardly, but people didn't uh, realize what was going on inwardly. So again, Matthew showed us how the fighting was there while the king was establishing the heavenly kingdom. Now, Another environment brought forth through his ministry. By this time, his ministry was not that public. Rather, he did it in a uh, cautious way, in a uh, calm way. Now, as he was still on the ministry, a man possessed by a demon, blind and dumb. Neither he can see nor he can speak. Such a man was brought to him, to the king. And the king cast out the demon. And the man began to have the sight and began to have the uh, eloquence to speak because he began to see the things, so he just uttered what he saw. 
That was a miracle, no doubt, and that was also a sign. There had never been such a miracle that a blind man received back his sight. To have a blind man receiving back his sight, this is greatest sign. It's not a small thing. So this surprised the crowds, and all the crowds were amazed at this extraordinary miracle. Again, don't forget. Those Sabbath patrol were there. You know, they got offended. They couldn't tolerate because they saw that this Jesus had won all the crowds. He had gained, captured all the crowd by such an extraordinary miracle. Ron, the rejection of these religious ones is reaching a climax by this time. The Pharisees now, it seems, are following him around and just waiting for any opportunity to catch Jesus in some situation that they might use to accuse him. But this case of the blind and dumb man being healed gave the Lord an opportunity to demonstrate some very crucial factors regarding the coming of the kingdom. Why is this miracle a turning point in the Lord's public ministry, Ron? It was a turning point not merely because the Lord performed this miracle, healing, casting out a demon. What opened the way for this turning point was the reaction of the religionists, the leaders of the organized religion at the time. The common people were amazed and exclaimed, this one must be the son of David. That is the Messiah, the king. Well, the religionists couldn't be more opposed to that, and they offered their view. Yes, he cast out a demon, but he did this by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So this was their explanation of what happened. They didn't deny the event, but they dared to say, Jesus is in league and acting in coordination with Beelzebub signifying Satan, the ruler of the demons, and that opened the way for the Lord to speak most enlightening things concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, and the warfare between the two kingdoms. Thanks, Ron. Well, let's see how this ploy by the Pharisees works out. Let's go back to Witness Lee. These Pharisees, they had to say something, and they had to do something to rescue that kind of situation. So the ancient Jews rendered the highest blasphemy to the heavenly king, that Christ cast out the demons by Belzebub, by Satan. Then this afforded Christ another opportunity to reveal to us something further. Again, his ministry brought forth a kind of a situation that afforded him to reveal to us something secret, which we cannot see apparently. Apparently, he cast a demon, apparently. But actually, that was not only the casting out of the demon, that was a fighting. He told the Pharisees, saying, 
how could I cast out the demon by Satan? If this is the case, then Satan is fighting against Satan. And by this time, the Lord Jesus opened up the secret to show us Satan has his kingdom. And his kingdom is built upon the earth and among men. Now, this heavenly king comes to build a heavenly kingdom also on earth and among men. So you see, these two kingdoms are what? Are conflicting. One against another. And one is old and the other is new. So by this you can see there is a battle. Then Lord Jesus goes on to tell us that when he cast out the demon, firstly, he fell down, Satan, because he said, unless you bind this strong man, you cannot get into his house and plunder all the vessels in his house. Before Christ cast out the demons, he has bound Satan. The people there only saw his casting out of the demon. They didn't see how he bound the strong man Satan. Now, an opportunity was afforded to him and he took this opportunity to reveal to us the secret of the spiritual fight. Ron, as this outward confrontation between the Lord Jesus and the religious Pharisees continued, the Lord not only revealed the reality of his kingdom, but also something about his enemy. What does this exchange show us about Satan and his kingdom, Ron? Well, your question points to the exact matter. As far as I know, and and this may be accurate, this is the only place in the New Testament where we are explicitly told that Satan has a kingdom. The Lord is saying to them, okay, look, if I'm casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub, that means Satan's kingdom is undergoing a civil war. There's war within the kingdom. The power of Satan is used to cast out the power of something satanic, which is absurd. The kingdom is against itself. But the crucial point of light is that Satan has a kingdom. And this is confirmed by other scriptures, which calls him the god of this age, the prince of the darkness, the prince of the powers of the air, clearly indicating he has authority, Acts 26. Satan has authority. He has a kingdom. And his kingdom consists of three main factors or elements. All fallen human beings are utilized by him. The entire world system that he invented is a huge part of his kingdom. And the angels who rebelled when he rebelled and became the principalities and powers are the evil angels in his kingdom. So there is a very real kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, 
opposed to God, and that is what is being exposed here. It's brought to light that there's another kingdom, and the Lord, as we may see in this program, affirms the kingdom of God. He said, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come. So here we have a direct conflict between the kingdom of Satan with the elements I just mentioned and Christ who is the embodiment and practical presence of the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to earth and bringing it into this particular situation through warfare. Thanks, Ron. Let's go back to Witness Lee for our final section today. This battle is going to intensify, and we're going to see a real key in terms of being the victor in this final ultimate battle of these two great kingdoms. Apparently, he was only casting out the demon. Actually, he was fighting. He was binding the strong man. And this tells us today, if we are building the kingdom, we have to bind the strong man. And what is the way for us to bind the strong man? To pray. To pray. When we get on chapter 17, you know, the disciples came to him once and asked him why you can cast out the demon, yet we cannot cast. Then the Lord said, this demon needs you to fast and pray. If you don't fast, if you don't pray, you just cannot cast this demon out. By seeing that, it indicated that the Lord Jesus, before he cast the demon, surely, what? He fasted and he prayed. While the Lord Jesus was on this earth, quite often he was fasting. He was praying to fight the battle. He was praying to bind the strongman. Today, we all have to realize that we must be in the same kind of a spirit. Every day, our spirit must be a fasting spirit and must be a praying spirit that day by day, we are binding the strong man. Who is the strong man? Satan, the king of this kingdom of darkness. He does have a dark kingdom on this earth. And the whole earth is under his usurpation. The whole earth is usurped under his hand as his kingdom. It is not so easy to get one out of his hand. His kingdom is his house, and in his house, lots of vessels, fallen persons. We have to bind this strong man, we will plunder his kingdom. Plunder his house and plunder all the vessels. This is a real revelation. Surely there is a battle raging on. A battle raging on between the two kingdoms. After the Lord Jesus revealed the secret of such a spiritual warfare, then he told the Pharisees, you blasphemy is too much. Your blasphemy is not forgivable. It's altogether unforgivable. 
Why? Because I cast out the demon by the Spirit of God. Yet you say, I cast out the demon by Satan, the king of the demons. Oh, this is too much. By his word here, you can see the battle fought for the kingdom is not by a man himself. But by a man with the Spirit of God. This shows that when the Spirit of God is there exercising His authority over the opposing situation, that is the coming of the kingdom of God. Ron, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but the blasphemy of the Spirit shall not be forgiven. So confusing the work of the Spirit of God with that of the Spirit of His enemy is really the unforgivable sin then in this context, isn't it? Yes, and this is a passage that is unsettled. Uh, Many Christians and some have been tormented thinking they have committed this. So we need a very clear understanding based on the context. So a brief review. The Lord Jesus cast out a demon. The religionists said, You cast out a demon by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. That is, you cast out something satanic or demonic by the power of Satan. Then the Lord affirms clearly, emphatically, he cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Therefore, the kingdom of God has come. So you've got an irreconcilable difference here. You have the Lord, obviously correctly, affirming he cast out that demon by the Spirit of God. The Pharisees, the religionists, they insisted, no, you are one with Satan. You did that by the power of Beelzebub. In other words, you did that by a satanic spirit. The spirit by which you acted is not the spirit of God. It's Satan. So then the Lord goes on to speak about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he's very precise in his use of words. He didn't say, you insulted the Holy Spirit or you grieved the Holy Spirit. These are serious offenses, but they're not unforgivable. But he said to them, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and that sin cannot be forgiven in this age nor in the age to come. Okay, why not? Well, let's follow the course of the process of God's salvation. God the Father is the source. He formed the plan of salvation in and with the Son. Then the Son came by incarnation, and through his crucifixion and resurrection, he accomplished redemption for us. But it is the Spirit that convicts a person of sin, that leads them to repentance, that infuses them with faith. It's the Spirit that applies what the Father planned and what the Son accomplished. So let's follow the thought here. If someone would blaspheme God, 
then within the Godhead, the Son could come, to come as the Savior, and try to lead us to repentance, that we might be forgiven. And if someone would blaspheme the Son, there's even a possibility for that blasphemer to be forgiven, because there's an opportunity for the Spirit of God to come, the third of the Godhead, comes to enlighten, to convict, to lead to repentance. But if someone does what the Pharisees did and calls the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Satan, the Spirit of Beelzebub, that one is rejecting the triune God in totality and is rejecting the coming of the third of the divine trinity to him for his salvation. So that blasphemy cannot be forgiven because the blasphemer has placed himself in a situation that neither the Father nor the Son nor the Spirit can reach him. By blaspheming the Spirit, he has totally repudiated the operation of the triune God in Christ as the Spirit to save him. So there's no way he can be forgiven because the means for which one is forgiven has been blasphemed by him. So he will not be forgiven in this age. He will not be forgiven in the coming age. This is the nature and this is the character of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We would never speak lightly of anyone cursing or grieving or rebelling against the Spirit. But that is not calling the Holy Spirit of God, Beelzebub, the spirit of Satan. That is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So listeners who have been troubled by what they may have done in a time of anger or frustration— an enemy accuses them and says you're hopelessly lost. There is good news for you. You can be forgiven because you recognize the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. And this enables you to be redeemed, saved, forgiven, regenerated, and reconciled to God to enter into the kingdom of God. Ron, thanks for your help and your fellowship, and please come back very soon. And we invite you back as we continue the life study of Matthew in chapter 13 with our next program. Chapter 13 is one of the critical chapters in the book of Matthew. We also have printed life study messages that we'd love to tell you about. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. We'd love to hear from you. So you can write us, of course, Living Stream Ministry, P.O. Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send email to radio at lsm.org. Today, for Ron Kangas, I'm Matt Miller. Thank you very much for listening. This program is brought to you by Living Stream Ministry publisher of the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. To find out more, we invite you to visit our website, lsm.org. There you'll find more than 600 titles from both authors available online. You can also listen to recordings of Witness Lee's spoken messages and see the full array of material that Living Stream has to offer. Again, that's lsm.org.
www.ohio.org. Thanks for listening today.